You are tuned into the Manmukti Mental Health Podcast. This is your host, Girindeep. Most of us have experienced feelings of doubt and unworthiness at some point in our lives. But when our accomplishments are a result of our own knowledge, hard work, and preparation, and you still feel inadequate, you're probably suffering from imposter syndrome. Whether we know it or not, many of us have experienced imposter syndrome at some point during our life. It can manifest as feelings of self-doubt, self-criticism, or critical comparisons to others that make us feel inadequate and out of place. And on today's podcast, we're going to discuss scenarios and phases of life in which imposter syndrome can rear its head. We'll understand what it really is, who can be affected by it, and how we can equip ourselves to manage it. Today, I'm joined by my co-producer and host, Jethan. Hello, everyone. So good to be here. Today, we want to dive into the topic of imposter syndrome. Um, And we are joined by Divya Robin. Divya, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. Awesome. So why don't we start by learning a bit about yourself? Tell us about your journey into the world of mental health therapy. Okay. Yeah. So my name is Divya. I'm a mental health therapist um, in New York City. And so I primarily specialize in working with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, trauma, life transitions. Um, I started off really working with the college population. So I was a therapist at a college counselor center and even to now about like half my caseload is college students young adults because I really value working with those life transition times which is really where imposter syndrome comes into the play a lot happens during transition but um, as a South Asian in the field of mental health definitely um, it has been quite a journey it has been one that I'm very passionate about finding a space in in this field but also like my own self has experienced a lot of imposter syndrome with there being an underrepresentation um, with therapists of color and in, in general also South Asian therapists. So, you know, I have so much that my own clinical work and my personal life intersect with the topic of imposter syndrome. But what led me my mostly to the mental health field was one, the um, lack of diversity. I had noticed just growing up a lot that I, I would hear about therapy and therapists, but I just remember not really ever feeling like it was for me. I, I just remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself when I would hear um, peers talking about therapists or like family therapy that is like, do people like me go to this? Or, is, you know, <laughs> I just, it wasn't something that was super talked about. Um, but at the same time, I had noticed a lot of people struggling in the community, um, in silence, my own, you know, relatives, family, myself, and and they're just not being a space to be human and be vulnerable about these kind of things. So I saw um, a gap in that space, and I really wanted to fill it in terms of education and advocacy. So that's kind of what led me to where I am today, and then also intersecting with my clinical work and my personal life. So it all feels really great because it kind of has come together really beautifully. So your passions and your career kind of aligned together. And that's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the kind of yeah, therapist so we actually blessed. need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been really, I mean, it's really great, because I think a lot of what has led me to the field is also stuff that 
I think that I have, you know, my, my training and my clinical experience of what led me to it, but I also have just my experience being an imperfect human, especially when I work with uh, children of immigrants, people of color, and like working through things like imposter syndrome, it feels really healing in, in terms individually and then also to, like collectively, because it's so cool to be able to know what that experience is like. Obviously we're all having unique experiences, but you know, mixing that kind of a passion and what I want to really bring to the world and seeing the need for it, especially in these communities has been really like a blessing for me. Sometimes it doesn't really feel like work, which I know sounds so cliche. And I always <laughs> thought when people said that when I was younger, it was cliche, but I, I understand it a lot more now. So for our listeners who might not know what imposter syndrome is, let's put down a definition. How do we understand what imposter syndrome is? Yeah. So imposter syndrome, it's something that I really have been seeing this term used more and more, especially in the media and in pop culture in probably like the last five years. But what it's referred to is it's an internal experience of just believing that you might not be as competent as other people perceive you to be. The two key words that I really like to say when giving this definition is one, an internal experience. So it's our own self-belief, it's our own internal world. It doesn't always reflect on like, our external world, like meaning like our actual maybe achievements, successes, education, whatever it may be. This is our internal world. So whatever we are feeling, our beliefs, our thoughts, some like our own internal narrative that is around imposter syndrome, feeling not incompetent, self-doubt. And then the second key word is also perceived because we have our own perception of how we function in the world around us. And our perception is usually driven by our own insecurities. And so our perception of how we might be is different than another person's perception. So the two words of really looking at imposter syndrome, like I said, is internal experience because it's internal, really it's what's going on within us. Other people can't see that. And then also perception because we might perceive ourselves to be a certain way that isn't actually um, in line with, let's say what the reality is. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that you brought up that it's kind of something that's been brought up in the media in the last about five years, because Mm -hmm. I, I had a feeling I was experiencing something like this, but until I saw what that was imposter syndrome, then it really kind of put a nail in it because I'm like, I I think I'm experiencing this in different ways. For me, I feel like anytime I've had conversations surrounding this, I felt there's always this idea of like not deserving where you are so is there anything that uh is there any component of that in the definition that you're feeling that comes up yeah a lot of it is like feeling yes like you're not deserving of your accomplishments that maybe you're a fraud another really big theme is that like maybe I just got lucky you know I'm not really meant to be in this space so yeah that's a huge one because when we don't feel competent as ourselves or we don't feel like we really belong in certain spaces then it's hard for us to feel you know like we're deserving of being there. So yeah, that's a really, really great theme. I appreciate you bringing that up because that can also lead to more feelings of insecurity and self-doubt. And then it heavily impacts our self-esteem too. So yeah, not feeling like you belong or like you even have a space is really important. Is this because there's a lack of validation in someone's life or is this something that could kind of manifest on its own regardless of external validation? Yeah, there's a mix of two that I've really seen. I mean, our upbringing has a really big component to it, which is why I think that I've seen it a lot 
in the communities of children of immigrants, just given just the nature of a lot of family dynamics. Of course, every family is different, but this is just like very generally speaking. In terms of one thing is when we have like comparison between like, oh, like just I've seen in, in even my own life and in my family with the comparison of like this person is here and you're here and maybe expectations of where you should be in life. Yeah. That is one that with that internal experience, it can almost feel like you're never really up to par. Another one is an external experience in the way of like feeling like you don't belong. And that kind of ties back to what I brought up with my own um, experience in imposter syndrome as a therapist, because like when you are a mi- from a minoritized population, person of color, if you are in a room and like you are the only person that looks a certain way and that there are other people that look completely different to you or have different identities, it can feel hard to feel a sense of belonging. So I've also seen imposter syndrome a lot of times go hand in hand with a sense of belonging. So one is that sense of belonging, which yes, that can be attributed more to an external experience, but another is our own internal experience and self-worth, self-esteem, how validated we feel. So like it does stem from two different aspects of it. I feel like, uh, you know, your experience that you're coming with to this field, I feel like is incredibly valuable just based on the idea that you're giving that perspective to people who are speaking to you. And I think being able to recognize whether this uh, dialogue is coming from an internal sense or it's coming from external factors, I feel like can be helpful for people just recognizing where is this stemming from, right? Is this something that's happening because of the way that I was raised or is it because of the four walls that I'm within and the factors that are playing within that, right? Because I think a lot of the times I've, I've always felt like I've had to earn whatever I have Right. If I if I got like a good gift, it's because I did something during the year because uh, that I that I deserve that. Right. So if you're like at a point in your life where you feel like, wow, I've I've made it to where I needed to, but maybe I didn't struggle as much um, mm-hmm. or as, as I was as much as I was expecting or I felt like I needed to, then maybe that plays in. Do you feel like any of that uh, is valid? Yeah, totally. And when you bring that up of like getting more and more successes, that brings me to a really big misconception of imposter syndrome that's actually like, well, actually I'm feeling imposter syndrome, but that feeling is going to go away if I just get that promotion or I just finish my master's degree or if I get another degree, like the imposter syndrome will go away. But the thing is, because it is an internal experience and so much of it, and, and it has both of that, right? Like, our external experiences can also factor into resulting in an internal experience of not feeling a sense of belonging and, and not feeling validated. Um, but that internal experience, unless we know how to self-validate, we know how to heal, reframe some of those thoughts, it can that internal experience will follow us no matter like what the external experience is too. Imposter syndrome plus career, I feel like kind of go together. Are there other fields in life this can really affect somebody, not just in the career? Yeah, a really big one is life transitions. Anything that is where you're navigating new territory that you're not really feeling the most competent with, that is a place that can really trigger imposter syndrome, whether it might be like in a new relationship or it comes up with school or even getting a promotion, right? Like we think that, oh, if I get a promotion or I move to that next step, that imposter syndrome feeling will go away. But a lot of the time it can even heighten our feelings of imposter syndrome because we're charting new territory that we don't know internally and externally how to navigate. So it can work into feeling like we're incompetent or we don't know what we're doing or we're a fraud. And so those those can also go hand in hand outside of the career realm. So, cause we're always changing, right? We always have transitions. We're like fluid human beings and nothing remains the same. And so 
really working on that internal experience of imposter syndrome and how to work with it is, is really key because our external situations are constantly changing. How can someone really know that this is going to be an issue? Because like anyone can say like, I personally am like, oh, yeah, this is imposter syndrome. But like, how can we really know that this is like starting to affect us? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I mean, we all face imposter syndrome, right? We all face self doubt. None of us have like, quote unquote, like perfect or healthy self esteem, like we all struggle. But I think what really can help differentiate if imposter syndrome is something that's really getting in the way is if it is getting in the way of you being able to act based on like what you find meaningful in life. Like, let's say that, you know, you want really want to go and get like a master's degree in something like we can maybe use me for an example as a therapist that like there aren't really any South Asians in my cohort. I will be applying to this program. It's predominantly white students, but I have that imposter syndrome showing up, right? But like, Mm -hmm. if it is really important for me and it will give me happiness and meaning to be a therapist, but then I'm consistently making decisions based on that imposter syndrome and not based on my values. So I decide, all right, I'm not going to become a therapist. I'm too scared. I could end up being unhappy because I'm falling into that imposter syndrome trap. So I don't Mm -hmm. think the feeling of imposter syndrome is what, is unhealthy or anything, right? We all have feelings and thoughts and we can't always control our automatic thoughts and feelings, but what we can control more is what we do in response to it. So I think if you're making continuous decisions and letting imposter syndrome take the driver's seat instead of like what we find meaningful in life, we can end up feeling unhappy, unfilled. And so that's when we can notice it being more of an issue. You mentioned self-esteem. Can someone have like a healthy self-esteem and still have imposter syndrome? Well, imposter syndrome goes on a spectrum too. So imposter syndrome, like are just thoughts of self-doubt, thoughts of feeling continuous fraud or weird, our perception of how we really are in the world is different than how we really seem to be. So I do see it come a lot of the time in hand with more unhealthy or poor self-esteem because when we have poor self-esteem, the way that we view ourselves is generally like very different than how we other people view us. I have this really great visual that whenever I speak on imposter syndrome, I love to give to people and I'm going to try to describe it. Let me know if I'm not describing this very well. (laughs) But so basically there there are two diagrams and one has two circles that are both the same exact size. And one is the perception others have of me and then like my perception of myself. And so other people viewing us as like competent people and like, wow, they're, I don't know, XYZ, they have these, they have this degree and they're a great employee and they're an amazing human being, but we have that same perception of ourselves versus imposter syndrome. Other people have that same bigger circle of us, but ours is like minuscule in comparison. The next, it looks so small because the perception we have of ourselves is not the same of what other people have of us. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I describe that in a way that- No, that absolutely good. makes sense. Yeah. And so that is a really great way to describe imposter syndrome. And it's very similar to self-esteem because the way we view ourselves is different than how other people view us. No, you described that perfectly. I feel like that really lined up. So if someone's in that situation where they're feeling like their perception of themselves is different than the feedback that they're getting from other people, right? Uh, I would imagine that they're not just going to respond so well to someone coming up to them and saying like, wow, you're doing a great job, right? There's a, there is a bit of a disconnection there. Someone is giving them a certain sort of feedback, but it's not really connecting, right? So is that kind of where you would come in and start having that conversation with them? Yeah, and kind of to really navigate where they view themselves, because a lot of the time, our own ability to be able to accept, let's say, compliments, 
even critique, right, is really based on like how we view ourselves. If we view ourselves as internally, like our self-esteem is shaky and we don't feel like we have a sense of self, even a critique can really damage our self-esteem, right? Feeling like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm like so incapable. I'm such a failure versus having the mindset of, all right, I am an imperfect human being. We all are. And having this critique, it doesn't mean that there's something inherently wrong with me. And so, yeah, I think that being able to notice like your own response to critique and feedback can be really important. And a lot of it stems through our beliefs with ourselves. So when we, so that's really my focus when working with people with imposter syndrome is like really getting down to the foundation of how they view themselves, like that really nitty gritty. And a lot of the time that goes down to these like deep rooted views of ourselves that can come from my childhood from our caregivers but a lot of that builds up on top of each other with our own ability to accept or not accept even even positive positive comments like she was describing all these things and I'm trying to relate it one to myself and then two to you know my peers and some of the things that uh, have come up amongst people that I'm working with colleagues superiors because any superior that you meet or anybody who's in charge of you sounds like and feels like they know what they're doing right so I feel like at any time I've worked with somebody who is uh like just a level up from me I've I've, like looked at them as if like yes please lead the way please show me what I'm doing Mm -hmm. because I don't know what I'm doing so I was just thinking about that yeah. So we're looking at them. syndrome is so common, like with people, yeah. especially in these higher positions too, because there's such a sense of loneliness too, right? You can't like compare yourself to other people or really like see like, am I up to par or right. like really have that marker? And so that's another thing that leads back to kind of what I said about, yeah, if you get that promotion or if you get that pay raise or you get that extra degree, like people have this idea that like, then I will feel great then I'll feel better but a lot of the time that's not the case and we have to work on our internal beliefs our self-validation and our self-esteem so really it's working on our inner dialogue then is what you're saying so important because the way we talk to ourselves is so it's so critical right like like even think about it in the way of taking it away from ourselves but thinking about like if there's a child and a caregiver and let's say that caregiver is always like you didn't get this or you're not good enough or like you're never you're, you're good for nothing you never come up to par like like we know that's going to really shape how someone views themselves versus if when a caregiver is validating and is like saying that you know like yeah I know you didn't get the grade you wanted but like you tried your best and mm-hmm. you still did great we can see externally like and conceptualize that oh the way that this this child versus this child, their self-esteem are going to be different. And like, we can understand why, but we're not always the quickest to give ourselves that same kind of dialogue. It's like, if you always have a person behind you, bringing you down, like, of course, you're going to feel bad about yourself. Is there any portion of like imposter syndrome kind of being put onto people who maybe just don't feel like they belong in that moment. But it's kind of, you have people that are saying like, oh, like you don't feel like you belong because this is imposter syndrome, right? But in actuality, there are external factors that are making them feel like I'm not supposed to be here. For example, like not being included or being mm-hmm. like, a vis- like a visible minority and, and people are just kind of putting it into that category. Like you're only feeling this way because of imposter syndrome. Is there, mm-hmm. Do you feel yeah. like that's coming up? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think with it, that's a one amazing question. I definitely think with imposter syndrome being such a, like I said, term used in the media and not, the, the thing that's great about when we start to bring more awareness to these terms is that like people are starting to talk about it, right? They're having more conversations about it just like we are, but we don't always look at the importance of context because context is absolutely everything. We cannot deny 
I, that there are situations where people, people are just, they look different, right? And like, how will you feel if you're at top and there are four other board members around you who are white, white presenting and you are one person of color, like due to external circumstances, no matter what anyone says, right? You can't always just be like, oh, it has, has nothing to do with context. I think context, I mean, it, all, it always plays such a big role. And even if you work so much on your internal beliefs and self-validation, you still might feel like an imposter if there's no like structural changes being made. So I think that it's definitely important to put context and these internal experiences into play. But I do agree that definitely when we um, start to talk more about these topics without really diving into context and looking at it as face value, we can a lot of the time end up sweeping other issues under the rug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. In your experience with working with um, clients that might be kind of going through something like this, do you see that there's like a predilection towards you had mentioned like minorities for sure um between like men and women yeah the thing with i've done so much diving into literature on this topic and there's such inconsistent findings on if there are gender differences i mean they the way actually my um imposter syndrome was coined it was in i believe like the 1970s and it was by two psychologists and they were actually doing research on women like women starting to work more and like their own internal experiences of incompetency in the workplace so with those research findings and coining imposter syndrome it was first seen to be something that was like oh this is something that women in the work working women face um but the Mm -hmm. more that they expanded into research we're seeing that it is an internal experience that so many of us face but there's a lot of inconsistent findings in terms of like like literature wise if men or women have any kind of differences there's a lot there's like half literature saying that it is more with women and then half saying that there's it's there's no difference so there's not any there's not really literature saying as much like only men experience it at higher rates but I've seen both of that and another thing I want to account for in a lot of this literature is it doesn't really have a diversified population. So it is predominantly white populations. And I will say that over the last few years that there's been more research being done to minoritized populations, people of color, and that has found more findings of when we do studies with a more diverse um, sample size that people of color do experience more feelings of imposter syndrome. And the context also incredibly matters when it comes to that too. So I really appreciate you bringing that question up earlier because especially in the context, which is why a lot of people of color end up feeling more that internal experience of imposter phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Cause I think it's really important to look at what research was done in this field to help define what we're working with. Because if you look at the studies and you understand what was being studied and how could we extrapolate that to apply to our daily usage, I feel like you get a better idea of what you what, what the data even says, yeah. right? So is there anything that you're finding that like recent studies are showing that's new or are there any studies that you think should be done and what factors do you think we should be looking at? Yeah, I really wish that there were more studies that were done on definitely the child children of immigrant populations, immigrant populations. I don't, they haven't seen too many studies be done on that. I would say it's very new that I've been seeing studies done in terms of even minoritized populations, people of color. One that I have also seen is that the college students um, in research, they do um, experience a lot like higher levels of imposter syndrome. And so I have done more research in that kind of a realm, just given that 
I've worked with the college population when I've done like speaking events on imposter syndrome, a lot of the time it's tailored to college. So that is something that I do see that first generation college students, mom, people of color, and even like, I don't, I don't always say the gender differences just because it's so inconsistent in the findings, but findings that have been consistent is that minoritized populations and people of color, but I haven't seen a lot on first gen, second gen immigrant populations. If there's somebody who's recognizing that they're in a bit of a transition in their life, right, and now they're aware of um, imposter syndrome or the potentialities of it, or just uh, feeling that they might feel that they're headed in that direction, or they want to be proactive about it. Uh, are there any things that you would suggest to people to be like, hey, this is things are changing in your life, you're going to be taking on a new role. Um, these are things that you maybe you should consider just kind of starting with yourself. Is there anything like that? Yeah, like how do you equip yourself and be ready for that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, because taking actionable steps is what's really important. I think the beginning is really self-validating and like starting to make that a practice, right? Like we can't just like start one day, like in this one one realm, let's say you get a promotion, you don't feel like you're deserving of it. Just like start validating yourself more. And because we want to make that a practice, everything with imposter syndrome is built on practice and like how we view the world around us is starting to validate that we are capable. We are worthy of what is around us, like starting to feel more comfortable in that and just like owning wins, like big wins, small wins. That's another one I like to really um, say is to celebrate any kind of win. I think imposter syndrome can go a lot of the time when we feel like those like big wins are the only deserving ones because when we only celebrate our big wins, what we inevitably also do is we end up invalidating our smaller wins when mm -hmm. we are capable human beings who are actually accomplishing so many things daily, we just don't recognize it. So that is definitely one thing to start making that a practice. And then another thing is to really monitor your self-talk, like notice how you're talking to yourself and then start to reframe that, like make a practice of being aware of when you have these kind of self-deprecating thoughts and then reframing it to something that is more positive because our brain is like a muscle we learn through consistency. So the more that we continually talk to ourselves mm -hmm. in a certain way, the more we're going to internalize it. And, I, and, and, and with that also comes being just self-compassionate with yourself that when you are learning new ways to talk to yourself you're also unlearning old habits of talking to yourself so mm -hmm. like those are two things that are functioning alongside each other so to be compassionate with yourself that that takes time and it might feel uncomfortable from time to time so those are three things that's a really good point and you know I feel like that would solve a series of other issues too <laughs> not just someone going through imposter syndrome yeah um Actually, I, I kind of wanted to like loop back a little bit and talk a little bit about the spectrum of effect. I had a question based on that. Mm -hmm. How does this or how can this play into more serious mood issues like anxiety, for example, or yeah. even something yeah. like perfectionism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so anxiety, depression, perfectionism, I see a lot of that um, be hormone comorbid apologies with imposter syndrome just because some of these overlapping kind of thought patterns right with in terms of like lower self-esteem rumination feelings of hopelessness low self-esteem those can go alongside with imposter syndrome too and perfectionism I mean perfectionism is, is another word that I've been seeing so much in the media that I've been trying to at least like on my own Instagram page and things like that break it down a bit more in terms of that also being 
like a thought pattern, right? Like this need that everything needs to be perfect. A lot of time perfectionism comes with anxiety. Those two go hand in hand and then depression um, and anxiety. A lot of the time, the function of what we're doing from it is stemming from low self-esteem, which can be also found in imposter syndrome. So a thing that to really highlight actually, and I'm really glad you brought this point up, is that imposter syndrome is not a diagnosis in the DSM-5. That is something that people have been coming to therapy being like, I have imposter syndrome, like what, what, like what treatment plan or like, you know, thinking that it's like a diagnosis when it is not a diagnosis. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's like a thinking pattern or like an, a way that to conceptualize maybe how we view the world is through feeling like an imposter, but it doesn't, it's not a mental illness. So a follow-up question to that would be, would this be a reason where I would want to seek therapy? Or is this something that I can work on on my own with like certain tools? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I don't, I know, I, I think therapy can obviously be very beneficial. And I've seen people who struggle with imposter syndrome have really great outcomes from therapy and learning tools in therapy. Because like I had said, right, that a lot of where our imposter syndrome can stem from is how we view ourselves and our self-esteem. And that can also be linked to a lot coming from our upbringing and changing our thought patterns, changing our behavior. So having a therapist, and I, I would say in this kind of a case, so I'm trained um, specifically in cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is typically seen to be one of the more standard treatments for anxiety, depression. And I work a lot with people with imposter syndrome, perfectionism. And so cognitive behavioral therapy can be very helpful with that because it's very much analyzing like automatic thoughts, automatic feelings, how can we make shifts, reframe, rewire our brain. So in that kind of a therapy, I would say that that would be beneficial in working with imposter syndrome. I do think, like I said, therapy can be beneficial for absolutely anyone. And I've seen people come to therapy with working on imposter syndrome, but of course, like, you know, it's more that people want to have like that motivation to work on it in, in a therapy context too. So another odd question. Um, so just in the context of um, trying to shape the definition of imposter syndrome and just kind of hit it from different angles, in what instances have you found, is it not imposter syndrome? Like somebody walks in and they say like, I'm feeling this way and I think I have imposter syndrome. Uh, are there any things that you're thinking, well, you know, maybe not, maybe it's something else at these points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've seen it definitely in terms of like when we've talked about the importance of context, when people are in situations and like abusive work environments, facing a lot of discrimination, oppression, um, either through like work, through the system. And I think feeling the full burden that this is only because of me, like I am, my own internal thought patterns are causing this, but to start to acknowledge and hold both out with being like, yeah, maybe there are other ways that you can't like you can respond behaviorally but there are also these things happening in your context so like how can we change our environment how can you change your context in a way that is more supportive toward mm -hmm. a healthy outcome right because then that kind of a way that's just our mind and body being taking care of us because we feel like we're a threat and that might actually be the case a lot of the time so that's why context should be so important in recognizing this too Right. So for somebody out there who's feeling like uh, they're not completely comfortable at work, but they don't necessarily uh, feel like they're ready to contact a therapist, you know, what's the tangible first step that you think that they can take? Yeah, 
I think the biggest step is to first just name when imposter syndrome is coming up. I think that like, even with us talking about it in this podcast, it's with like, it's kind of skipping over the step of like recognizing where imposter syndrome is showing up where like, this is imposter syndrome, this is what you can do. But the first thing is to really name it. And when you notice these patterns and thought patterns to be like, oh, that was imposter syndrome or like, I think that was imposter syndrome coming up. So start noticing when it happens, even if it's writing it down, um, starting to monitor it and like noticing your triggers. Like, is it when the certain boss typically comes up to you and you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't really know what I'm doing right now. Like, what are some of these triggers that are bringing up the imposter syndrome? So you can start to have more self-awareness of that. That can be a really good step in terms of just like becoming more in touch with our thoughts and being in touch with our actions. So we can feel more connected with it because we can we there's a difference with like really knowing when imposter syndrome is coming up and how it's impacting us and what are our triggers versus just knowing it as this abstract concept that oh maybe I struggle with it so starting to connect the two I would say is a good first step that's a good point that you had brought up that you should recognize how it makes you feel because in another uh, context where I was reading about imposter syndrome they had they had brought up that it's not always a negative thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense because they were talking about how if you walk into a room and you feel like you're not good enough, for example, um, then that should challenge you to do better and get better. Is that Mm. the same thing? Or do you think that that it's, is it always in a negative context? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that that goes back to what we had said about how do we know when imposter syndrome is something that we want to work on, right? Like, is it something that is holding? Because also with that, right, it can lead to cycles of perfectionism, which in the end, that can lead us to feeling burnt out and like on this hamster wheel of achievement that we like never feel good enough. So it's kind of noticing like, how is this really impacting you? Because in the moment, sure, it's really great to be up for a challenge, but like, is it a one-time thing or is that how you're viewing absolutely everything in life? Because then it's inevitable that you're going to end up burning, burning out and having low self-esteem and just feeling exhausted. And so I think that that also is, is very much in terms of context, which I know we keep coming back to, but I think in terms of discussing anything with our mental health, like we really have to decide and talk about it in context because we're all different people. Right. But I think to definitely look at like, how is it really impacting you short-term and long-term So short-term, maybe that will have a benefit, but like, just because something is impacting us in a healthy or positive way, short-term doesn't always mean that long-term that's aligned with our goals. So I think holding both of that out should be really important too with imposter syndrome and anything else when you're deciding like, Hey, is this something that is benefiting me or not? Like we so often just look at the short term and then mm-hmm. just like check off our list. But I think to look at short term and long term because oftentimes those are not the same. Yeah, people talk about sorry, Jason. People talk about that. Uh, they talk about stress that way too, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, hey, this yeah. is a this is a good thing. It's a good thing because now you're going to take action and handle what is being stressful to you, but if that happens time and time again, then, you know, you're losing sleep, you're not eating and all sorts of things can manifest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a difference between short-term stress and chronic stress because chronic stress can be overall not great for our well-being, which is the same thing of, of imposter syndrome, like short-term. Yeah. We're human beings. We have bursts of stress. We have bursts of self-doubt, you know, but like consistently that can have more of an impact. So looking at it both in that long-term and short-term and, and gaining more insight about like maybe your own patterns with it when analyzing those. 
Yeah, I love that first step of just taking stock of uh, how you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, and what circumstances you're feeling that way in. Because uh, as I'm sure we've all experienced, like a little bit of resistance is nice, because then you know how hard you need to push, right? But if that resistance is too much to overcome, obviously, we, we need to change something, right? So just understanding what is healthy for you, what's working for you, what's helping you move forward in life, or feel comfortable and then which parts of it are, are kind of holding you back. So. Yeah, absolutely. So Divya, I know that through, well, I found you through social media <laughs> and you had brought up imposter syndrome, but you speak a lot on different um, topics that you notice within the world of mental health therapy. What kind of resources do you think are available to anyone that would want to reach out to you? Yeah, well, definitely um, to start, there's a lot that's on my Instagram page. I also have my website, which is either diviarobin.com or mymatterswithdiv.com. But on my in, on my Instagram is where people can mostly find things in regards to workshops. I do free workshops. Um, I do um, also webinars and I do um, ebooks, courses, things like that. I have them usually that are launching like every six months. And the thing that I really, I mean, my page is just like, I started it with very similar to the same intention of why I started being a therapist is I wanted to educate people on mental health, especially in terms of like the South Asian population. And in terms of just like, once we educate and know more about a topic, then we can form an opinion on it. I think mental Mm -hmm. health was such an abstract topic that people were like, I hear about it. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to take care of it. So like, I don't have an opinion, nor can I validate it. I don't know Mm -hmm. anything about it. And so I think education is such an important step into people being able to start validating it, recognizing it within within themselves. So that was really my goal for my Instagram is being able to educate people and function in that way. And so a lot of what I post is based on what my audience wants. Like if I'm like, I'm making an ebook right now, every chapter in the ebook is from my DMs. I ask people as right, as I was writing it, like, what do you want to see in it? What are things you struggle with during the holidays? And so like, every course, every workshop, every webinar, it is it, it, like, obviously the content is written by me, like my experience, my clinical knowledge, research background, but it's inspired by my, my audience. So that is where I'd really start with finding anything about me and knowing that that's kind of like you ask questions on there and that is where I stem from wanting to function. I want to educate people so that they can start forming opinions on their own mental health and feel empowered to take care of themselves. You're doing a great job. I mean, the way that you make whatever we're learning about so digestible, that's really, Mm -hmm. that's really what I look for as well. Because even though I have a medical background, this is a totally different context. So the way that you describe even imposter syndrome was just so much, it was just so easy to digest and understand. Mm -hmm. And that um, you're doing a really good job. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I think that really is like digesting it. Like that's the first step. If something is so abstract and we're not able to really understand it, we're more likely to just like keep moving on and be like, oh, it's probably not important. But the thing is, it is important, but it's also important for people to be able to understand it. Like mental health should not be this concept that only like certain amount of people can talk about and take care of. It's something that all of us should feel empowered to take care of in that way. So I really had noticed like a gap with that people just didn't know how to talk about it or how to digest the information. So that's really my mission to try bridging mm-hmm. that gap a bit more. So I really appreciate that feedback. I love it. I love that you're putting together 
these resources for people that are, you know, well thought out and they represent your unique experience because mm-hmm. the conversations that you have on a daily basis are not available to uh, just anybody walking down the street. You have access to people in a very special, particular, intimate setting. And I feel like your advice and perspective is incredibly valuable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, Divya, I know that you had mentioned on one of your um, Instagram stories that you have a newsletter. What can people expect out of that? So my newsletter, I it launches one to two times a month. What I have in it is it starts off with typically the way that I structure my newsletters is through that month, like whatever my most engaged post was or the post I got like the most questions about and mm-hmm. a lot of people really resonated with. I take that post and I dive deeper into it in a newsletter. I create free resources for those who are subscribed to my newsletter. So a lot of the time, like a journal prompt, um, like maybe a short printable workbook, something like that, that dives into that topic. And I also ask people in my Q&As, like, what are some things you all want to see? So um, I add that into the newsletter. I also love to put articles and things that I had read because mm-hmm. what really drew me again, right, education is such a such a foundation of the work I do. So when I find things that I find very inspiring and I'm like, that was really digestible. That was really insightful for me to read. I want to share that with my audience. Like I want everybody else to see that and hopefully have that same experience. So there's a section of my newsletter where I share my favorite reads from the month and that people have really resonated with because they're usually short reads. And again, digestible, applicable things that people can read and like immediately use in their life and like the upcoming week. So I know that people who are subscribed to my newsletter really enjoy that. And then on top of that, my newsletter has all like my discount codes, exclusive offerings. So when I have any kind of ebook coming up or like a workshop webinar, I always give a discount code to the people who are on my newsletter just to make things as accessible as possible. Okay. So that sounds like more than enough reason to (laughs) subscribe to your newsletter. (laughs) I feel like it's not just a resource for anyone wanting to learn about mental health, but also other mental health therapists that mm-hmm. are wanting to learn a little bit more about the South Asian experience, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So that's really cool. All right, Vivia, thank you so, so much for educating us on imposter syndrome. I feel like I learned a lot. Right. Thank you so much for having me. I love this conversation. I feel like it was very collaborative and I appreciated both your insights. So I really hope the listeners all resonate with it as well. Great. We're going to have to have you back on here to talk about something else. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yes, please. I feel like I have tons of other questions. And I think the more we (laughs) dig into these topics, uh, more interesting things are going to come out. So thank you to you both for being amazing. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. And don't forget, if you would like to ask us any questions or suggest any topics or guest speakers, go ahead and visit our Munmukti Instagram page and comment on any of our posts. We always appreciate your support. So when you get a chance, please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast channel. In the meantime, remember to take care of your mind, body, and soul. This is Gidandeep, signing out.